the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to return to Europe with the latest DICE Barcelona conference, hosted at the beautiful W Barcelona Resort. This three-day event offers a relaxing resort atmosphere in which attendees will be treated to insightful speaker programming, roundtable discussions, and networking opportunities. Mark your calendars now to make sure you attend this premier networking event taking place September 4th through 6th. For more details, go to diceeurope.org. Hey everyone, I'm Trent Custers of League of Geeks and this is the Game Maker's Notebook. I've just had a super fun chat with Johnny Galvatron of Beethoven and Dinosaur. He's the creative director of their debut title, The Artful Escape. It was a very eclectic chat, but some highlights definitely were working with Annapurna, their publisher, from very early on, and how supportful they were throughout all of Dev, but including the process behind such a star-studded VO cast and their stellar performances. We also discussed how Beethoven and Dinosaur's team of misfits and outsiders pushed the conventions of our medium with their atypical myriad of influences and inspirations that aren't usually seen in video games. And then, of course, we discussed Johnny's life as a former rock star of the band The Galvatrons and how that experience ultimately led him on his journey to become creative director of his own BAFTA award-winning video game studio. It's a super fun ride. Johnny hails from my hometown, Melbourne. It was a pleasure to have him on the podcast. And I think there's something in here for everyone. So please, without further ado, enjoy. Welcome to The Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Hey, Johnny, welcome. Hey, Trent, Hi. you chocolate eclair. <laughs> it's great to be here. Yeah, good. Thanks for joining us, mate. So everyone, here we have uh, Johnny Galvatron, creative director of The Artful Escape. So so great to be chatting with you, man. We bumped into each other just recently at your much-belated launch party. It's fun, fun times, man. Yeah, look, we had, we had some cash in the budget set aside for the launch, <laughs> even though the game came out almost a year ago. We had to spend that cash um, and we had it in a big ballroom and we won a BAFTA in the meantime. So we pretended that it was about winning a BAFTA. Um, <laughs> I love it. Is it like actually the launch party or is it just the, the BAFTA comes along and then you're like, oh, we actually should celebrate this. Yeah. And now I need to introduce myself as I walk on stage. BAFTA award winning <laughs> game developer, John Gilbertson. Well, hey, Johnny, it's just, it's been, it's been quite a wild ride, like w- watching you from, I mean, I still remember the day in the studio when Darcy, our community, community manager at the time was like, whoa, check out this game. And it was, it was on Kickstarter and we were like, oh, whoa, crazy. It's from Melbourne. That's wild. Same where we're from Melbourne as well. And then uh, meeting you at PAX, uh, PAX Oz and all that stuff. And just watching you know, the years that followed and everything that came together to see this game launch and then obviously the BAFTA and the party and now we're here today. Uh, the Game Maker's Notebook, we, we often start with 
how did you get into games? How did this all happen for you? And I heard you say in an interview once um, that you've been making this game for 37 years. So why don't we start as far back as possible? <laughs> and, and like where did games and music sort of intersect for Johnny? How did, how did this journey begin? Um, it begins in the cafeteria of Belmont High School uh, <laughs> where I played my first gig way back in the day and my dad came and filmed it on a handy cam. I remember him full suit standing out amongst the year tens. Thanks dad. Um, <laughs> I guess I, I have like a big, um, uh, I had one of those big rock and roll stories. Um, I guess initially I, I started, um, I did 3d computer animation at, um, at like SAE. Right. Um, uh, where you just, you know, you don't really have to get accepted. You just, you just kind of pay and they'll let you <laughs> Yeah, in. you just pay. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did that. And then I think three or four days after I graduated, I got a record deal um, with Warner Brothers. One <laughs> of the last. Not the an last animation bit. record deal, right? Like- <laughs> no, no I, for, no, I completely forgot everything about what I had learned <laughs> um, at uni. I've never utilized it in any way. Um, and. Yeah, we signed one of the last big kind of traditional record deals. Um, it's my child. I love it. Yeah, you get Doc yeah. just hollering um, in the background. <laughs> it's hollering. Uh, he's so sick of this story. The, um, the, the, um, yeah, so I got a, a, one of the last big record deals, kind of six-figure record deals. Ho- ho- hopes were high um, <laughs> for the Galvatrons. And um, we were kind of like one and a half hit wonders. Um, uh, but like toured the world, played stadiums, you know, toured with Def Leppard and I remember Trick and I remember it. I mean, we, we're pretty, yeah, much, we're, we're, we're of a similar vintage, uh, Johnny. And I remember Channel yeah. V and <laughs> Johnny Galvatron and the yeah. Galvatrons. Like you, you were a, yeah. you were a hot minute there in, in Australian, Australian rock. I, I was, we ran for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I got to like live the dream. It was, it was, um, it was, I'm glad I got to do it and see how much I didn't enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I, there's, there's times obviously that you think back to and think, wow, that's very surreal. Like, mm. you know, being side stage and at watching Devo and, um, <laughs> and just like, um, you know, being in a bunch of like rock stars who are passing around a, a joint, you know what yeah. I mean? And like, and like being like, man, I love these bands. <laughs> He's passing it to me. Um, uh, and, um, and being on stage and seeing all that and doing photo shoots and doing all that stuff. And generally I I hated the whole thing. Um, it's very difficult being, especially it was at that, you know, kind of fall of Rome era of the music industry of the traditional music industry. Um, and the, the shine had definitely come off the industry. Everyone was getting fired. I think our A&R reps got fired before our record even came out. Um, <laughs> Were you the so, cause of that? I love it. They were like, you signed who? Right, maybe. I, the Galva was. No, no, I think it was a wild coming that one. I think it maybe we're just pausing for a second because this is a game dev podcast and, and I think we should probably just point out clearly that, yes, we are talking about 
a rock band, like a mainstream alternative <laughs> band that Johnny was the frontman of in Australian in Australian rock. Um, yes, we pivoted hard from the animation degree straight into a record deal. But Johnny yeah. was actually in the yeah. music industry, as you could probably tell if you've played The Artful Escape by Beethoven Dinosaur or seen it. It's uh, what no, I wouldn't say what semi-autobiographical or at least spoken from a lot of experience. Yeah. So that's what we are talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I'm leading up. I'm doing the big build up. We've got an hour. Yeah. So um, hated it. Hated it. being a mid-tier band sucks. Um, you mm. all sleep in the same room. You just spend your time in a plane in a van, um, and it's. I was disillusioned very quickly. It's horrible. Um, and so the band broke up. I didn't leave the house for about six years. I wrote a novel. I showed it to no one. And then I, um, saw a kind of the same way I did with the Galvatrons. I saw a kind of angle that I could enter the video game industry. Um, and what kind of idea I could have and how I could use that, that musical knowledge to try and make something a little bit or approach music in a different way um, than people had in games before. Um, And that kind of leads me of how I got into the industry, which is just making Kickstarter with absolutely no audience uh, that I had acquired. (laughs) Uh, You know, if you're starting, if you're starting a Kickstarter, you know, build an audience. Don't just throw it on there and be like, dig my Steve (laughs) Vai alien guitar shit. Um, and uh, when I, that was up, uh, I got noticed by a company called I Am 8-Bit who make merch. Yeah, I know. Um, and um, they told Annapurna about it. And I had a couple of conversations with Annapurna. And then uh, in the end, um, it came down to uh, Annapurna saying, oh, we're going to be at PAX um, in Melbourne in three months. Um, are you, have you got a table there? And we were like, yeah, yeah, we've got a, we've definitely got a table there. Absolutely. <laughs> there might even be a TV. On uh, got a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got a demo ready to go. Um, that was a complete lie. We had no demo. We had no table. I called in my last rock and roll favors of my mid-tier rock and roll career, and um, and got a table. One of the last tables at PAX. We we crunched for three months. Me, Sean Slevin, Justin Blackwell. Um, we crunched for three weeks, uh, sorry, three months, made a, made a demo. Annapurna rocked up in, at 11 on the first morning after we'd been up for two days. <laughs> and, uh, and then victory. There it is. Got, got the deal. They Not took me out to, to lunch and uh, it only took like six years to make the game. Easy, <laughs> easy. Which we didn't tell them at the time. They probably knew, but not, you know, Annapurna probably took one look at you and they're like, we're not going to see this game for six years. This guy is <laughs> a loose unit. <laughs> so, the, okay, so I, I love it. I love that. I love that story and that journey. What was the point where you actually like picked up Unreal or you actually said like, what? let's zone in on that point where you're like, okay, done with music, blah, 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 now game. Like, did you just start toying around? Were you like, oh, I'm going to dust off my animation skills? How did how did that sort of come about? Yeah. I, I, I think you probably relate to this a little, which is like when I, at the start of the Galvatrons, I was like, hey, I, I might just write a Van Halen kind of track. And then a couple of years later, you have a band and a record deal and you're <laughs> in Frankfurt in the, in the sex district playing in, under some blue light in a cupboard. Um <laughs> 
so I was like, oh, I'm just going to make like an iPad app. I'm just going to make like a little kind of fun little iPad app. And I, I, I think you had to pay for Unreal at the time. So I bought Unreal and, and started doing these little, if you've seen the Artful Escape, it's this kind of 2.5D um, game where you, we have um, these 2D um, illustrations placed in 3D space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started working on that. And Unreal Engine is fantastic. It's, it's very friendly for artists and there's just so much um, content and YouTube to teach you how to use it. So that's all I did. I didn't go and do any course or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I made a little video and I heard that Unreal were giving away grants um, for development. I thought, well, my game looks a little bit different to the, the, the usual Unreal game. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't even apply, actually. I just sent them an email with a little demo um, or a little video. You couldn't play it. Um, and saying, is this the kind of thing that you're looking for? No in-between email. The next email I got was just, we're giving you like 25 grand. <laughs> and, you got the job, buddy. Um, yeah, total. And, and I was just like, well, oh, well, I'm a video game developer now. Um, <laughs> and that's how I... And at that point, man, I had tears so big in my jeans that they wouldn't let me into pubs. You know, I was so broke. Um, so I was like straight down, bought 24 KFC nuggets. Do you know what Do I mean? It. Like, yeah, yeah, that's it. The, the, the expensive stuff, just straight to it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that, you know, Unreal, I have a lot to, uh, you know, a lot of thanks and gratitude to epic and unreal engine and all the people there it's amazing um, like because they started me off those seeds right like you can I, even with Armello, like i can trace it back all my career there's there's one my career started like in video games because there was one guy a journalist that just the, like the local paper that i just straight up lied to and said i'm a games journalist can i write a column on the halo 2 or halo 3 launch or whatever i wanted to cover at the local shopping mall and he's just like sure kid yeah knew i was knew i was bullshitting knew i was lying but it's, it just gave me my break and it was like this little spark that started started everything off you know it, it's amazing how you can sort of trace yeah. things back even to you know armello started as an ipad app as well let's just make a little ipad card game it'll take us eight weeks or something yeah. like that and then yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's crazy I, isn't I, it I, yeah i, I ended like, up getting to meet um I ended up getting to meet Tim Sweeney at um, oh, great. at at GCAT. Um, no, not GCAT. The other one, the one GDC. in America. Um, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> and uh, he's up there, and someone introduced me to Tim Sweeney. I was like, dude, I just want to say, like, you changed my life. Started started my career. The money you gave me started my career, and I have this big deal, and I have a company, and I just wanted to say thank you. And he went, cool. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, that's, it is cool. Yeah. It's not wrong. It is it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. I'm out. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So you've got a company now, right? Like it, it's happening. You're, yeah. You've got the Epic deal. You've got the Annapurna deal. Like let's, let's jump to that. What does that mean? You've got the Annapurna deal. What happens from there for, you know, what's the, what's you, cause you know, I'm looking at the credits here and I obviously know a few of your crew, like you, you built a bit of a yeah. team around you, you know, like fill us in on the next steps. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, it's um, 
it's that it, suddenly you have great power and great responsibility. Yeah. Suddenly you have a budget. <laughs> suddenly you're like someone who owns a company and you're someone who's responsible for people's livelihoods. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you have to like try and maintain being like a, you know, a breezy artist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I, I think um, it, it, I definitely, um, I think one of the, the, the things we did best was build the team. Um, the team we have is incredible. And um, our, our art team, I think is like, you know, BAFTA, BAFTA quality. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you don't need to say the anything. The, ba- the BAFTAs have already said it for you. We just we can just cut to that presentation I for this part. For the, I haven't got my BAFTA yet. Really? They haven't sent it to you? You I think, think they'd express I, I, I sent, It's apparently, it's on the way, but I, I want to be able to hold it up and it's talk through it's the a BAFTA. Little mask. There's, a, there's a really, really yeah, great exactly. video of like when Lucas Pope won his BAFTAs, his brother, Caleb like was sliding down a handrail out the front, like with his long hair, like with his tongue out, holding two BAFTAs, like in a suit. It's the most, I think it's the most metal, like five second video in video games ever to be made. I love the little masks That's as dope. well. They're, they're cool. I mean, I'm into it. BAFTAs, BAFTAs are cool. So well done, look- BAFTA. <laughs> I had to sign a, a thing about the BAFTA. Sorry, we'll, I'll come back to the question. No, so let's go. The, yeah. the, the, the BAFTAs, you have to sign this thing with the BAFTA that, that has all these rules on it that's like you won't make a cast of it. You're not allowed oh, wow. to sell it. You're not allowed to um, You're not allowed to give it to anyone. The only way it can, you can transfer it to someone else is through your will, through your next of kin. Whoa. That's that's for yeah. Long. It's like an Academy Award, like yeah, yeah. You, yeah well, you can sell it, or you can sell it back to the Academy. Anyway, <laughs> back to building the team. I just thought yeah. that was interesting. Interesting, um, it's super interesting. And um, ah. the building the team was yeah yeah was was one of the the things we did well. Um, uh, the, we pulled people from mainly from outside of games. Like mm. I found um, Arden Beckwith, who's our illustrator on illustratorsaustralia.com. <laughs> she didn't even have like an art station or anything. She's just she's hovering so out in the wilderness. She's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and is very quickly becoming an incredible 3D sculptor as well. So she's just a, a mega talent. <laughs> That's too much. Um, That's and too we powerful. pulled Mikey out. I know. Um, we pulled uh, our three D artist Mikey out of um, out of Luma in Australia. He was mm-hmm. working on Marvel films. He did the car that explodes in Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. For those <laughs> so who are really- Luma, Luma is a big VFX house in Melbourne that does. There's there's a PDV like a tax offset in Australia, similar to the similar to the games one uh, for you know in in Canada, but for a film as well in Melbourne here. And so we have some big VFX studios. So Game of Thrones, Marvel, there's a bunch of films that you would be watching, um, you know, when you stream them from, you know, Disney Plus or Netflix or, you know, see them at the movies and, you know, a ton of the the VFX actually done here in Melbourne. So Loom is one of the big VFX houses here alongside some others. Yeah, it sounds like a crazy operation in there as well. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like they can't have anything. You can't have your computer attached to the internet, like stuff like that, because people yeah. are always trying to steal, yeah, get like Marvel sweet, stuff. Yeah, yeah, just sweet Marvel secrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So it sounds like such a weird job. But yeah, we got Marvel, we got Mike Hedder there and Harry, who's um, who's one of our level artists who does a bunch of things, like fresh out of the draft, straight out of uni, um, oh, nice. and that kid's a miracle, absolute wonder <laughs> kid. Um, and then we got 
we got Tess who had been doing mobile games, um, doing animation and, um, and yeah, the, building up the team, uh, kind of one at a time as we went into development, having no idea what we were doing. Um, uh, the team was, was the, the, the big win for the company when, you know, the knowledge I didn't have was filled out by those people. Um, and as we kind of ventured off on this strange road to, to making it, uh, our first ever video game with a huge budget and a big team. And yeah, it was crazy. Let me jump in there and ask then, because as I'm playing the Apple escape and you, you know, folks, I really implore you to check out this game if you haven't yet, you know, and especially for those of us who are, you know, maybe running our own studios or have families or whatever. It's also not a long game. What's well, about four and a half, five hours or something like that, Johnny. Something like that. Yeah. So yeah. It, definitely check it out. It's just so incredibly impressive. I was constantly impressed by the, just the scale of the achievement. And I can see why you won a BAFTA for like artistic achievement, because artistic achievement is a really, really great way to like hone in on the the very special part of of um, the Artful Escape. And so as I'm playing it, to go back to what we were just talking about, as I'm playing it, I'm thinking, because I'm, I, I know about your team, I know how they came from different areas and I know that this is your first video game as well. And so I'm like, it's absolutely um, wildly impressive how some of these scenes came together and the craftsmanship uh, and just the, the level of polish and finish uh, on these things. And so when you're building out this team, they're all from different walks of life. What is... What do you think is that through line that you're looking for in people that is that has brought a bunch of folks together who may come from disparate backgrounds but happen to have some kind of you know common attitude or common belief or like ability to pull something together so well? How did how did you grab this that you know your 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 wild bunch and bring them together to execute on something so well? God, that's great question <laughs> that really, i don't know is a really fair enough answer as well I right think, <laughs> I, think, I think um we were always pretty clear on what the artful escape was what we were trying to say what the subplots of it was what the subtext of it was and i think you know here's here's my like quoting someone else's quote quoting someone else's quote but like um the uh, i uh, Tarantino was like at one point um, mentored by Terry Gilliam and Tarantino speaking to Terry Gilliam and, and he's like, your films have this, this great vision and everything seems to blend in and push towards that vision. How do you get, get that from the page to the, to the screen? Um, and he says, it's like, it's not your job to, um, to make the grand vision. It's your job to, to explain that grand vision to the people you work with and make them understand like what the story is and where it's going. And then, then you give it to them. It's that it's, then it becomes, you know, their version of that vision. Um, and I think, yeah, the artful escape was always very clear about what it wanted to be thematically and musically um, and narratively as well. Um, and so once I think, you know, one of the hard things um, being someone who's like worked on this by themselves and then giving it to a team is like that. Um, you feel like you need to do everything and you feel like you need to be touching everything and be in control of everything. I'm the yeah. person who's making this game. I'm the creative director. And don't do that. Don't do not do that. Just be like, <laughs> explain what you want to these wonderful artists and, um, and, and try and 
get your vision across to them and then give it to them and let them add their own flavor to it. And then that's what makes it great. So I think it's just a, a core of everyone understanding where you want to go with the story and them, them, them being able to add in their own artistry and craft. Because I'm never going to know Arden's craft as well as Arden does. You know? Yeah, of course. Um, so I think at some point you, you step away and let those artists do what they want. And then if you're all working towards the same vision, you can get something quite spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly, right. <laughs> yeah. And, but I know what you mean. It's just, and it working, you know, in creative leadership myself or, you know, um, at League of Geeks and other roles, it really is about defining those outcomes, defining the goals and then allowing your team to do, giving them the empowerment to define how they get there. Hmm. Um, so now, I think, I'm, I think too, with, yeah. with like a rock and roll with, sorry, sorry, with a rock and roll story is just like, um, having a wealth of stuff to draw on, um, from like making a rock opera, you know, there's a bunch of rock operas you can watch. There's like so many amazing, um, album covers that you can draw inspiration from. And there's a whole world there. And it, it uh, to artistically draw from, from, you know, music and cinema and artistry, um, and it was very much built up from the, you know, opposite of my experience in rock and roll <laughs> of that, that kind of world of, of dreams and, and, you know, these doors that are going to unlock through your guitar talent. You know what I mean? It's like this really, the Alpha Escape is this very teenage version of what you yes. expect the rock and roll dream to be. Um, and so I, with that kind of clearly defined, that's like the driving force behind the artful escape, this, this concept of a, of a teenage rock and roll dream and the, the, um, the science fiction aspects of Ziggy Sardust and, um, you know, Boots and Collins and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think also, you know, that my experience is my history with rock and roll is something that actually drove the art style of trying to, you know, actively rage against, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to show like the, the holiday in, like we were talking yeah, about yeah, before you, I wanted yeah. to do like, have, I wanted to, with the Artful Escape, have my rock and roll dream of what I thought it was going to be instead of like just eight people snoring in a bus <laughs> with like gear, gear on you because you couldn't afford the bigger bus. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, just binging series on their laptops on the bus, sort of thing. Um, so, oh, we something... can afford laptops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. How privileged of me. I should, yeah, I'm, I'm completely misguided. <laughs> that's, that's a couple tiers above the goal. Um, but, like, <laughs> look, when you say rock and roll story and the teenage, you know, boy fantasy or teenage fantasy of like what rock and roll is, uh, it really speaks to me because when I was when I was playing the game and experiencing it, it was absolutely. It felt like something coming from outside of games. So you know, a lot of games they they reference games themselves. You know, a lot of the inspiration comes from other yeah. games or you know games that other people have played. Yeah. You know? uh, but it very much felt much like your team that your influences are coming from out of games. And I got this, you know, fantasy has yeah. always been an element of rock, especially for, for so long with Ziggy Stardust or Kiss. I've even got, you know, I've got some touches of Kiss and yeah. things in there, you know. Um, uh, totally. Uh, and so I'm really interested to hear more specifically what some of those influences are, like the main influences that aren't in games, because it, get, it really lent it a quite a fresh yeah. 
perspective. It was it felt like something wholly of your team's conception, but I think that's more so just because yeah. like you're not drawing from the same standard references that the bulk of the video game industry is. Yeah. I, I think that's gonna happen more and more. I, I think yes. like the the video game industry is is poised on this air this time that I remember from rock and roll, which is um I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you, this is my theory of theory of fathomability. Right? This is one of my theories. <laughs> um, the theory of fathomability states that like uh, uh, a medium's cultural importance will degrade when people can understand how it's constructed. Mm. Um, so with rock and roll around the time I was joining, rock and roll from the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s had been kind of confined to the to the dim cocoons of these elite <laughs> recording studios. And, you know, people were literally engineers who recorded it. And there was a lot of mystery and um, excitement about this, this kind of recording, like, um, uh, you know, Air Studios in Montserrat and all these places that you would go to record albums um, and it had this mystery to it. And then there's this point where Pro Tools comes into the bedroom. And of course <laughs> there's like this, there's this like um, transitional period where you have these great bedroom albums. Um, but then everyone kind of knows now someone who makes music in their bedroom that sounds very, to their ears, very similar to what's on the pop charts. And a lot of people kind of look, I think, at modern music with the same sense of uh, that some people look at modern art, which is like, oh, I could do that. Mm. They're wrong. But like, um, I think that because uh, that kind of bedroom has influenced the sound of of popular music itself becoming quite minimal and electronic, um, that... And, and of course, you know, a music falling away, be- becoming extremely fractured once it goes into the streaming services. There isn't like a mainstream and an alternative mainstream. It's just fractured into yeah. thousands of subgenres and you can find exactly what you want. There doesn't, there's that loss of the, of the, of the mainstream and the alternative mainstream. So mm-hmm. I think, um, um, video games is, is interestingly poised at this point where it's, it's going from something that's unfathomable to something that's fathomable to people, something that's going from the studio now into the bedroom. Um, things like MetaHuman, Unreal Engine, blueprints in themselves, part of Unreal Engine, which allows people like me to code. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. It stands upon a precipice, I think, of yeah. is, is it going to become fathomable? Um, to people maybe I don't think it can ever really become fathomable to the point of the way music is I think there's still that kind of mystery to it and still uh, you know you and me I'm sure we both play games and think how the hell did they do that yeah I, I had that moment playing your um, game in the industry for 15 years <laughs> going, how the fuck did they do this yeah um, so to be honest with you, Trent, I've completely forgotten the question, but um, uh, I, that's my rant that's my rant on the theory of fathomableness i i totally relate and i think it's you know we that indian renaissance that happened you know in the late 2000s you know perfectly coinciding with the mm. 
with the GFC and giving a lot of us an out there, you know, like when start, studios started to crumble, all of a sudden people could turn their turn their attention to Unreal or Unity, which had gone free and throw a phone, you know, throw a game on people's phones. And there was a billion of them in people's pockets that that democratization of an art form, yeah. you know, just allowed so many different voices into it. Like your, yours as well, you know, Unreal was a lot more um, to license yeah. at one point than what you paid for it, even when you had to pay at that point. So exactly. It, $35 a month it was, and then it was free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that was like the last bastion of them trying to trying to make people pay for it before it went completely free. Um, yeah. but yeah, it is really it is really wondrous like seeing seeing your expression come through from and your team's expression come through and from your lived experience, you know, with the Galvatrons and that that music career and how it comes through in the game. So what what are the artists? Tell me tell me your your big inspirations. Like oh yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah. This album yeah, well, cover. Ziggy, you know? obviously. Yeah, Ziggy's a yeah. big one. No. Yeah, there's Ziggy, obviously. Ziggy's a big one, you know, Roger Dean, the artist who does a lot of the Yes, yes. album covers. Um uh, Roger Dean's a really good one to put into uh, Mid Journey AI art. Uh, <laughs> just if anyone uses Mid Journey AI, chuck, oh, chuck Roger Dean in there as a modifier. Really good one. Um, uh, yeah, Z, um, you know, Bootsy Collins, um, um, George Clinton, obviously coming down in a spaceship, you know, in the 70s, way before kind of a lot of that fantasy and rock and roll. Um, Grace Jones. Um. Uh, who else? Lady Gaga. There's a Lady Gaga haircut that you can get in the, when you customize your character. Um. Uh. And so a lot of that kind of stuff, like that, and Kiss, obviously that yeah. that kind of fantasy. I, I really do love. I'm glad you kind of phrased it that way. I really do love fantasy in, in my rock and roll. Um. Mm. And. Like, uh, you know, even the the Who, the Who have like this sci-fi song called "I'm a Boy," which is like a, a, about um, uh, it's a world full of only women, and you get born as a boy, and you're you're um, you're uh, ostracized and stuff. Like uh, that's a lofty '70s weird like <laughs> rock and roll opera stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can yeah. totally imagine Pete Townsend like writing that concept as well. Being like, oh, it's so hard to be a man. <laughs> yeah, woe is me being a man in the seventies. If only people would understand. Um, I there, there is a really beautiful element to that fantasy and the you know of the concept album. Like there's the seventies epic concept album or the concept concept band. Like I can still you know I think I remember the yeah. first album that I ever bought was Meatloaf Bad Out of Hell and that album cover just as a kid because we bought it. We bought a CD player. It was like exciting for the family when um, yeah. Dad was like yeah. pick out any CD in this JB Hi-Fi, you know, like our best, our, um, yeah. our best guy. And I'm wandering around, it took me ages, and I bought Bat Out of Hell um, because I thought it had, um, took the words so right out of my mouth, but it's actually not on that album. Oh, anyway, right. but I bought it. No, it's I, not on that one. Yeah, and I'm looking at the cover and it just, it literally set my brain on fire. It, like, I felt the synapses change my brain, like just looking at the album, the album art, you know, and, and throwing One of the classic it. album covers, hey. Yeah, it's beautiful. R.I.P. Meatloaf, legend. So um, I know Anna- I will always remember you for your performance at the AFL Grand Final. <laughs> oh yes, amazing! Yeah, Australia. Yeah, the Aussie Rules Football. So for our listeners, it's an interesting one. AFL yeah. AFL Grand Final Meatloaf. Don't, like, good little YouTube. Don't look <laughs> it up. Leave, leave Meatloaf. Yeah. 
in your mind how you remember him when he was a monster in the uh, I Would Do Anything for Love film. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. Talk about setting my brain on fire as a child, that film clip. Wow. Okay, so now I'm interested so in, in diving into um, we've spoken a lot about your creative expression and your team, but you've been working with Annapurna as well for six years. And something that I know about Annapurna or that I've heard from folks who work with them is the amazing amount of creative support and mentorship and everything that they provide. Yeah. So I'm really keen to hear about your relationship with, you know, um, Nath and the, and the production crew and everything over there and, and how that yeah. sort of formed itself and, and developed over the, and what sort of influence they had on yourself and the team and the game. Yeah, well, Annapurna is like, I mean, one of the good things they do is give give you money. But apart from that is <laughs> that they have this library of people that you can kind of check out, you know. Mm. There's like Nathan Veller and Nathan Gary and um, Deb Mars, all these people who have worked in, you know, all the games that I, they work at Sony Santa Monica mm. originally in some of my most formative games like Journey and stuff like that, yeah. God of War. Um and uh, we were always very open to anything that they had to say about the game. I'm not very, um, I'm not a, 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 someone who guards their creative kind of um, angle righteously. I'm always kind of someone who's very eager to get other opinions on what I'm working on. Um, and Nathan, even, even it, it, it's funny, like Nathan is wonderful narratively. Uh, Nathan's now the full head of Annapurna, um, mm-hmm. of cinema and their television and their interactive division. And he's an amazing kind of, he's wonderful to talk to about movies and mm-hmm. narrative and stuff like that. And he, he would just be like, it, it, it ranges, it was really good. It ranges from just like, all right, well, you know, some really nuanced kind of um, subplot that we could weave into an area. Or sometimes we'd just be like, that scene needs to be better. And you know it. Yeah, you know? and and I'll, I'll be like absolutely. I, I and the, the funny thing is sometimes that's the best advice. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like that you need to have a better send off between these two characters. No more than that. And you know, as a as someone who's kind of writing it, you think, all oh, right, what are my options here? It makes you just hone in on areas that sometimes need a bit more work. So, uh, it, it, I guess it's also too is like one of the the gifts that they have is knowing the, the advice to give you whether it needs to be detailed or it needs to just be very blanket like you know this this needs more impact this scene yeah. and just when someone says that to you is something like you just want to you want to get that right you want to make them proud that's what I kind of feel like sometimes well, well, like you were saying before, um, it's empowering right it's they they've divined a challenge for you they've divined an outcome that he's you know, in your example, Nathan's saying, hey, this this scene needs to be better, but he's also entrusting you to, to do it. He's empowering you as the creators yeah. to then find the solution and, and express yourselves in, you know, define the goal, but then empowered you to go about doing it. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a very similar thing, isn't it? It didn't blow my mind, Trent. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, like, um, then you can speak to Deb and she can help you with logistical stuff and budget stuff, and she's always like, I think one of my favorite lines from Deb is, we're never, we're never going to squeeze you. The only squeeze you'll get from us is a hug. <laughs> so that's like, it's like what, that's like what working with Deb is like. And she's like wonderful, you know, speaks to you about managing stuff and about managing budget and what you can do. And um, 
for someone like me and JB who does our, you know, our accounts is just invaluable and real world problems that you need to solve outside of the creative sphere. Yeah. And then of course you've got like Nathan Vella and, um, and, um, uh, uh, Richard, who worked at Naughty Dog, and he's like, there's just like all these people we can go to, and I'm like, you know, I'll just call Richard. I'm like, what do you think about, um, what do you think about like when people change the aspect ratio for cinematics? Give me your thoughts on that. You know what I mean? So it's like super cool to be able just to bring up these people and 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 kind of tap into that wealth of knowledge. And there wasn't, um, you know, I've never had a bad day with Annapurna and the the dinners. <laughs> my god who, who signs a publishing deal if not for the dinners there's got to it should be in the contract really it should be in the contract it's up there with like dave it's up there with dave stells from unreal engine you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's some good dinners flying around the industry that's all we're in it for really is like i'm actually we're working on two games at the moment i'm just i don't care about the sales i just want the dinners on the other side that's that's all i'm the dinners I'm is so good it, it was, <laughs> Especially coming from the rock and roll industry that has no budget. And it's just like, here's some cabana and some cut up cheese and some crackers and, and be <laughs> thankful. Yeah. And it's just sitting on the carpet of that hotel room that you're all sharing. <laughs> yeah, it's in the Warner Brothers, the Warner <laughs> Brothers office <laughs> with cask wine. <laughs> all right. So it's, it's really beautiful to hear about Annapurna. And, and it's something that I have heard echoed is the, like the, the degree of creative support is, is, um, is, is just astounding that I've heard that, that they've given. And, you know, almost like a, almost feels like a little bit of a mentorship program. Like a, like your, <laughs> your, um, your creative direction internship with Annapurna is what you're signing, not just your publishing contract or five dinners, you know? On, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think that's a great, great way of looking at it. Cause obviously they have these like, you know, they work with Heart Machine, you know, who are the yeah. Hyperlight Drifter kids and Ben Esposito mm. and all these people who are like really amazing game yeah. developers. And I'm just like the kid who's like, I feel like the younger kid in Dazed and Confused who's just happy to be like out with like Woodison <laughs> cruising in the car. That's how I feel. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I guess I'll be the almost famous kid then into interviewing, interviewing you in your later years. <laughs> so, that's my um, favorite ever screenplay is Cameron Crowe's almost famous such a good screenplay just throw it out just throw it out um so I want to I want to hone in on some specific uh some specific elements of the Artful Escape now and just sort of get your take because it is it is one of these games that you can tell when you're playing it there's a lot more behind the words that are actually being said or elements there so I'm just gonna like rapid fire through a few different things and really keen to get your take and you know the team's take is the travel sequences, the travel gate sequences. Tell me when when did you oh, have sure. the idea for the the psychedelic art? Do you have like main influences? Um, how were they constructed? Um, how early on were they in the game? The, the bits where you traveled to and yeah, from yeah, yeah. the yeah. cosmic lung. Those bits. Exactly. That's called a hip hop edit. Um, it's uh, f- uh, made famous by Darren Aronofsky mm-hmm. in uh, Requiem for Requiem a Dream. For a dream. Um, uh, so that's the, that is the main influence of that. I guess Edgar Wright, um, he does some hip hop edits as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, those sharp kind of crazy psychedelic edits. <laughs> I had to. I, 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 initially, the team was like, "That's a bit full on." I'm like, Good. "We need to make it more full on." <laughs> <laughs> Turn it to eleven. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And so that can that construction was that early on in the game? Were they were they things that one of those things that came together pretty quickly, or were they sort of like because they yeah are, I, could, I made that really quickly yeah 
Yeah. It seems like one of those things that like you could spend, you know, a year crafting and getting right, or it's someone like could come together over a weekend, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel like that, that kind of scene is just like, you know, there's a desert and a flower and he's in space and it's conceptual, you know? (laughs) And like, I'm sure you could like really break it down about what it means, but like I didn't. (laughs) Beautiful. I love it. All right. Next question. Uh, Sunglasses. Everyone's, everyone's wearing sunglasses. The absolute question is, is there a metaphorical reason or is it because you didn't want to animate eyeballs? It's both. It's definitely both. The, the, you know, some people ask me, I'd say like, because everyone has this, everyone has a stage persona. Everyone has something they want to hide. There's always a shield, some kind of fictional or fantasy shield between you and someone else. And very rarely do you let it down. And that's the philosophical answer. And then the real answer is, of course, I didn't want to animate the eyeballs. (laughs) It can be both. It can absolutely be both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It's both. Yeah, this isn't a hard-hitting investigative podcast. We can we can just we can just let that <laughs> we can absolutely be both if you want it to be both, Johnny. Um, all it's right. Both. So the next the next thing is guitar solos. I mean, how many hours of guitar yeah. solos are we talking here? And talk to me about the process of because you know there a solo is generally a, a solo, right? But you can in your game almost for the entirety of the game, maybe 90% of it, you can just hold that X button and wail the entire time. So I'm really keen to hear about yeah. the actually the technicality of that, who's writing the solos, like making sure that the game can withstand having a solo um, just wail over the top of it. And, you know, and then the aid, giving that agency to the player. And I I just love to hear your thoughts on all that. The, the idea starting off was that, yeah, you could shred anywhere and we'll, it's funny because I've watched so many reviews of the game where they talk about how they think the music works and they're all wrong. Um, People think that, People think that we, we have this like two tracks running and we just kind of switch it on and off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is definitely not how it works at all because guitars trick, like the tricky thing about bringing guitar in and out is actually the bringing it in and the bringing it out. It's not the in between um, mm. because guitars are very kind of analog acoustic things. And you can tell when you fading out a guitar or fading in a guitar sounds completely unnatural. Yeah. You miss um, the strum and the, the muting of the strings. You miss the, the yeah, the, the grunt. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So um, the way that it works is, um, have you ever heard of Dark Side of the Rainbow? Yes, I have. I have I've watched it uh, Dark Side. many a times, actually. <laughs> I'll explain Dark Side of the Rainbow to people. It's kind of like a... a, a, a a, a stoner myth kind of thing that um, uh, if you play Dark Side of the Moon and start it on the third roar of the MGM lion <laughs> in The Wizard of Oz, that the music lines up with the film. Um, and you can watch it on YouTube. Someone's made um, edits of it. Um, and it doesn't really line up. It's actually, you, you, you know, pattern recognition in your brain yeah. working overtime to find Absolutely. some kind of um, um connection between the audio and the visual. Um, and that's actually how uh, guitar works. It's actually your brain looking for um, the interaction between two audios instead of an audio and a visual. So we make sure we write everything in you know, a key. Each world in the game is in a different key. Yeah. Um, 
and then we'll do we'll record like half an hour 45 minutes of just uh, Eden Altman who's our guitarist just wailing and we, we'll give him like all right in this world it's like you're really Steve Vai we want lots of bends you know lots yeah. of like shimmery kind of stuff um and then we will cut it all up and then we add um uh uh, like a harmonic squeal at the start to bring you in. Cause when Francis plays his guitar, he like throws his arms back, yeah. and like does this mm -hmm. grand kind of entrance into the shred. A so we add that to the front, chop up a bunch of stuff, put it together. And then what we do in engine is we add a little harmonic little dung when you stop. So we can hide us turning the guitar down. And then that turns into like weird little happy accidents where, because there's a harmonic ringing out, if you start mm -hmm. playing again, you will then be like making a little chord with the harmonic yeah, when beautiful. you start the next riff. Um, yes. So what it is really is like, you know, people tell me it's just like, oh, you know, the guitar hit that crescendo beautifully. And I'm like, you, you hit, hit it yeah. beautifully yeah. in your mind because it's not really set up to like any crescendo. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the guitar is actually just a work of making sure everything is like theoretically musically correct. Then a little bit of trial and error. And then a little bit of tech work to get the guitar in and out. And then it's completely freeform and free flowing. I think that's what makes it feel so powerful as well. You know, agency is the beauty of video games, really. And it, mm. it's quite interesting because the Artful Escape has minimal agency. You know, you can run right to left, you can yeah. jump, you, there's a couple of buttons, you know, that you can do a few different things. But that's really about even the conversation, like there's a little bit of branching dialogue, but you can choose who you are and things. But even with the minimal sort of verb set, as you would call it within, you know, game design, it, the game feels like it has this incredible amount of agency, which is also the story of Francis, right? It's like giving him agency over his life and wrestling it from this, these great expectations. And I felt the game was... Well, I wanted, I wanted the... Sorry. Go for it. Go, please. You go. I wanted I wanted the 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 guitar to play to feel um, powerful. It, it's like yeah. when you play "Smells Like Teen Spirit," you you don't think about what chords you're playing. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not like Guitar Hero. You're like, oh god, what's what's next in this four chord song? Um, yeah. And it, it feels like extremely powerful. It feels like you know standing on the on on a on, on the nose of a ramjet, you know what I mean? It just feels so powerful. And I think one of the games that influences this game is actually the Arkham games. Cause when you fight as Batman, you yes. really feel like Batman. Like you absolutely just bust in skulls because it shouldn't be tricky because you're Batman, you're playing yeah. henchmen. You know what I mean? You should just be wiping them out. And I wanted to feel like the guitar to feel that similar level of power. Um, it does. I felt it like playing the game and the just jumping around and the fluidity of it and the constant, there's something about the momentum of the game, like always moving in a particular direction. And, and it feels quite unbroken, like the transitions when you're landing and things and just the very limited move set. It, it felt like, and that stuff that you're talking about, like me being able to just kind of, I picked up on myself doing it sort of subconsciously. And then I, you know, which was, coming in on a beat or coming into crescendo with something in the background or the music building to a particular point or me coming up to a rise in the, in the level or starting to sort of predict when a big vista was going to be revealed or something like that. Uh, and then I, and I picked up on myself doing it subconsciously and then through the game, 
later on, I just was actually doing it on purpose. And it felt like I was interacting with this environment all through this guitar and all through this persona of mine. And there were moments where I just stopped and like the part where you've got the disco worms, you yeah. know, the cities on their back. And I, I actually didn't know that I was meant to progress and continue on. So I just stood on that pad and I remember <laughs> like five minutes just, just shredded. That full game, you know, game moment where, you know, like a core game memory was formed yeah. like there. And I was just, I was only holding one button, you know, <laughs> just shredding, but it was, yeah. it was if the age. And that's the, that's one of the beauties of like this, this illusion that, you know, if, if video game making for all illusionists or it's just one big magic trick, right? Like that was, that was the greatest trick yeah. of it, that Liverpool there for me, which was standing on that platform while the disco worms are going past in the background and just holding one button and feeling like I was this, that I was, um, I called myself the messy Tiffin. <laughs> so it's like the messy Tiffin, you know, who nice. was the first soloist in the intergalactic convention or whatever. Like it felt, it felt that way. Yeah, I- It was just the soloing mechanic, you know? Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? It's like um, you have so many kind of clubs in your bag as a developer. Mm. You know, you have your gameplay, your music, your cinematics, your um, your narrative. And sometimes I think, you know, that promised land for me in gaming is where you can get them all to crescendo, that narrative and the gameplay and the score and everything. And then those are the moments that you remember when you can hit them all at once. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that adds to kind of that that feel is something that we do that uh, for some reason I don't know why a lot of two well, like side scrollers don't do it, but the cinematic movement of the camera yeah. um, is something that I think really adds to um, that kind of grandness and and cinematicness of of the artful escape um, and being able to use just I, I guess you know it's one of the only kind of um, forms where you as the director have control of the camera and not the mm-hmm. player. Um, yeah. And you can obviously use like different cinematic techniques of, of, you know, bringing in when something personal is happening and zooming right out when you want to show the grandness of the landscape. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and just little things like at the start of the Apple escape, you know, there's a lot of film theory about left to right versus right to left mm-hmm. um, and how that makes people feel, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, right to left, people will often um, uh, often think of that as as being wrong or heading in the wrong direction or something off about moving right to left in screen. Mm-hmm. So when the story starts, Francis automatically begins walking right to left because he's walking in the wrong direction. It's and then as he kind of gets this inspiration. That. Because my partner, <laughs> Tiffany, was sitting next to me when we were playing. And so we we're on the couch and I'd actually shown her the Artful Escape before and everything. And I was like, oh, I'm actually going to play play this game because we've got the podcast coming up. Um, and so I just handed her the controls at the start because I knew she's not she doesn't play video games. And, um, or at least she hasn't since she yep. was a kid, you know. And so uh, yep. I handed the control to her and she was walking left for about 40 seconds. And she said, this feels wrong. Is this is this, am I meant to be going this way? And I was like, yeah, that's on purpose. That's absolutely on purpose yeah. because you're, you're stuck in your hometown. It's like, you know, you're, you're heading in the wrong direction. Like it's all, and she was like, oh, okay. It really feels wrong. <laughs> so when she had this visceral, <laughs> yes. even as yes. doesn't play video games, she had this physical, like visceral reaction to heading in the wrong direction. Yeah. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad it's always dope when people 
It always feels good when people get it. You know? <laughs> Finally feel understood, Johnny. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, let's, the camera and was something that I definitely felt was really well utilized in, in the game. And, you know, to a degree where the bracketing of like how much you use the camera and how extremely you were zoomed out to punched in in different moments and even just cut into like right up close on Francis's face or someone else or even just these glasses. Uh, it was, it really, really had an impact. I remember there was a moment where I was like, holy shit, I'm probably only like 10 pixels on this screen at the moment. And so many game developers yeah. would shy away from that. You know, conventionally that's the character doesn't read well or whatever, but just doesn't matter and by that time in the game I think I was three hours in I knew exactly like I could have played the the game sort of with my eyes closed in regards to like just knowing I got to head in a direction jump every now and then and it it really that took a backseat to allow the environment to really to really shine and come through and hit those emotional beats yeah I feel like the game knows what it is um uh, which is you know um it's very simple in some ways. It's very simple mechanically, obviously. But yeah. once you have that kind of, um, once you have that uh, kind of chapter of the game down, like once you have that feeling, you can start to pull the camera back. And like, like you said, like there's lots of rules that the artfulest traditional rules that the artful escape breaks. But that's yeah. okay because it, 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 you already know what it is by that time. By the time yeah. you break the rules, it's like, um, you know, you're not going to die. It's not going to punish you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, don't know where yeah. I'm going with that. Just, I'm just gonna that. <laughs> That's all right. I'll just change. I'll change the subject. That's okay. Um, so, <laughs> interestingly, um, the artful escape as well. Like I said, there's a there's a minimal verb set, right? Like mechanically, it's it's very lean. It's mm. very restrained. It really works for it. But I'm interested to know was there was there anything that didn't make it in that you're like, oh, we had this, you know, this sequence or we had this particular mechanic that I wanted to get in or did it did it actually just end up being the thing that you wanted it to be, like wholly mechanically? Um, the thing, uh, we, we did have like hoverboarding where you hoverboarded oh, right. <laughs> um, and that was cool, but, but we just didn't have time to get it right. Um, and it's funny because... I think, you know, I'm sure a lot of video game developers go through this, but you think you want all this stuff and then when you can't have it and you make a smaller version, you realize that that was what it should have been the whole time. Like you you were aiming way too fat to begin with and it's better. Like the Artful Escape is great. It it shouldn't be any longer, the Artful Escape. You know, it's like I feel like it's pacing. You know, one of the things I like about Artful is I think it's pacing is really good Um, and – it ends where it should. So I'm glad that there wasn't any more that we put in. I um, I wanted to talk, I've actually got a note here to talk about the pacing because I agree. It's it's fantastic. And it's, and it's fantastic in the sense that a lot of, again, and I really, I know I'm making a lot of, com, you know, um, comparisons here to like generally in video games, but there are so, I think there are so many conventions as game developers that we just lean straight into or we think have to happen um, because of, you know, decades of player testing or whatever uh, yeah. that, you know, and so one of them is like the tutorial, learn everything up front, teach everyone as, everything as fast as possible. And then you're just doing those things for the rest of the game. Right. Yeah. Uh, but Artful Escape brilliantly, like almost, it feels like an almost even spread, spreads out these different elements or things that are happening uh, throughout the game. And it's it's so welcome. I think as well because it is a game with such a restrained verb set. Like it's such a, it's such a restrained amount of 
agency or me- it's not like all these mechanical it's not like world of warcraft okay you hit level 10 now you've got your mount and you can join a guild or you know whatever um yeah it's it's really quite they got the money for that they got the cash <laughs> maybe yeah hit up nathan the next game next game uh beethoven and yeah. um but there was the t- the timing of the different elements and i, I want to ask you a couple of questions because one one thing that was quite surprising to me and it works really well so i don't think it's a bad decision at all it's just interesting where you could have put it in the game is choosing your character you know like in regards to the, yeah. the customization was i just by the time i got it happens you know when you customize your character it happens what like two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through the game yeah and you've already gone on this yeah. big journey and everything you're deep into it the player is already like oh and they chosen your name and a bunch of other things and then you have this moment and it was at that moment that like when i created my character and chose all my customization that I felt fully embodied in this character, like that the role playing was complete for me. And it felt, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it felt like it was the the sort of, well, obviously you do put it there, but it felt like it was a perfect place to put that there. But it seems such a, every other game, you customize your character at the start and you did it at the end. yeah, it would have been it would have been wrong. Yeah, in our game to to characterize and 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 customize the character before you had gone on this mm. journey, which is about kind of creating your stage persona. Yeah. I mean, one of the main themes about the Upful Escape is um, the satellite aspects that surround people's core mediums. Um, you know, not necessarily like David Bowie's music, but the way he dressed, the rumors that he spread about himself yeah. or um, the film clips that he made or the way he presented himself on stage. You know, that, yeah. that's the kind of stuff I love about rock and roll, um, that kind of, the, the satellite aspects, the world you build around that stuff to kind of elevate it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, David Bowie's music is great, yeah. but it's better when it's from Ziggy, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I think... Um, you know, and that, that kind of happens throughout the game. Francis learns about like publicity stunts and learns about the rumors <laughs> that he spreads about himself and um, the name that he gives himself, his title, how he, you know, this is, you know, if, uh, Violetta says to Francis, um, an entrance, whether literal or metaphysical, can never be undone. You know, yeah. and that's just talking about like what your first single is and how you present mm-hmm. yourself to the world the first time. You know, people will never forget. Um, so having having um, Francis create his um, his stage outfit, you know, three quarters of the way through the game feels like it's the the right place to do it. Felt yeah. like unique and cool, and and people knew who Francis was, and they'd already put their their kind of. Um, brush strokes on who the stage persona was going to be. So yeah, I, I like that it drops in later in the game. Yeah, it really, and it was kind of, I'm only just realizing, <laughs> realizing now, funnily enough, hearing you say it, that the the game really is, because I'm thinking about, oh, the game is okay, you know, except moving from being Francis Vendetti and, you know, being in the, in the shadows of your uncle and, you know, breaking out and being yourself. But, you know, as it is as much of like crafting this, this rock persona, this fantastical, this fantastical character through, throughout the game. And whether it be, I loved as well that I would, you know, be clicking through the dialogue and someone asked me some random question. I'm like, oh yeah, I did the first solo on, and then it just references it for the, the rest of the game to like literally at the end, I'm saying it in my, in my final show. Um, it, it really is beautiful. Yeah. I've gone, gone about crafting this persona. It's a fun, it's a fun um, little um, kind of foible of the medium uh, mm. is 
branching dialogue um, because you can say three things the character's thinking at once, which is yeah. like no other medium can really do that. You can't do that in a film, you know. Yeah. Um, I, so I think it's a really that's a a really interesting thing of the craft is being like, well, I can tell the the viewer. Um, you know, three different opposing kind of thoughts that that character is having at the same time. And then they mm. can, they can select which ways forward. And it's, it's more about like characterization than it is about narrative. I think that's really yeah. interesting. Let's talk a little bit about the narrative and the writing process. I mean, is this game the novel that you wrote that you showed no one? Have you now shown your novel to the world or did you have the game written no, no, from the, the start? Or- <laughs> Uh, the, the novel I wrote was about a bunch of supernatural uh, musicians that live in a labyrinth beneath Vienna. So maybe maybe it. next time <laughs> we'll do that one. Um, I'm into it. Uh, yeah. No, I think um, I wrote I wrote the game. I wrote all the the dialogue, except for all the babies that Carl Weather says he added there. Um, uh, I. <laughs> You can't stop that. Um, He's going to yeah, stop I, Carl Weathers from saying "baby" at the end of every sentence. So you have no right to do that. It's so it's good. It comes with the territory. No way. <laughs> he was he was like um, helped me heaps actually because um, he, you know I was like I was telling him who who the influences were and stuff like that and for for Lightman for his character and he's like well he wouldn't say kid he'd say young blood and then he'd say baby and he'd just like change all the lines That's to like make so them work good. how he thought they would work which is you know a guy from you know a white guy from Melbourne Australia who had never been to America at that point you know is 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 you need all the help you can get yeah um, absolutely narrative wise I, I think um, I really started with that concept of trying to create. Um, the stage persona of like really starting with that theme of creating a persona and then the whole narrative of like Francis stepping out from the shadow of his uncle, which really took over the narrative Mm -hmm. um, and is a lot more emotionally powerful than just like a marketing exercise, which is (laughs) essentially what like a lot of the game is. It's like a lesson in marketing music, you know? Um, Yeah. and yeah, and that was something Annapurna pushed for a lot as well. I think was to like really lean into that um, uh, emotional drive with um, yeah. Francis and his uncle. Um, and I think that's kind of what is what makes the narrative great is those kind of emotional connections and the um, uh, the conflict between uh, Francis getting what he wants and what the town mm. getting what they want. I think I think with the, I think generally with video games you have more time in the first act than than people generally use yeah. i think like you were saying before people try and dump you in very quickly give you everything um and that's why i think a lot of games are lacking in a narrative sense because they don't do the first act they don't set up the initial world and the yeah. the um the hopes and the dreams of the character and the afterscape has quite a long first act i think it's about an hour um yeah. where, before you get into the cosmic extraordinary, but, and you go through this town and everyone tells you what their expectations are for your performance. And, um, I think that's why the narrative in the game works well, because it's, it's has a more traditional kind of literature or cinematic first act. Um, yeah. It is, it feels really yeah. purposeful <laughs> that, for, that first act for sure. Like you can feel that 
you are holding us there and it's and it's for a reason but it also has these beautiful threads of mystery and and wonder and magic and it's um like the first time you yeah, like you meet jason schwartzman's character is, is it zom yeah yeah yeah. Zom, yeah. Meet, um, yeah it's just like it's just this brilliant moment and you're like all right okay buckle up i guess i'm not gonna for this game yeah yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Jason Schwartzman was amazing because I love Jason Schwartzman. I, he's one of my Fantastic favorite actors. Guy. And the fact that he came and did the game was, like, astonishing. Mm. Um, and I got to, like, hang out with him for an hour just one day, like, you know, to talk about the character and everything. And we just spoke about Bob Dylan and David Bowie and spoke about Wes Anderson, and which I was like, you know, just yeah, yeah. that was a real moment. Just batter, was so batter great. Your and then when he comes... Eyelids. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I loved it. What's, what's West like? Really? Tell me. Um, and, and then when he came, when he came into the, um, into the booth um, to do uh, his lines for Zom, he brought in like all these props. He brought in like an umbrella and a scarf and a cape and a little synthesizer and stuff. And I'd be like, all right, let's try this line. And he'd do it. And then I'd be like, all right, let's just try the accent on this word. And then he'd like fling the scarf back and hold up the umbrella and like do the line again. And it was like magical. So crazy. (laughs) The true Zom appears. So good. So I'm I'm, I'm keen to hear about, because the the voice acting is, is, is so great. Like, how tell me about the process there in regards because I know obviously it's a it's a big draw card for you know folks wanting to work with Annapurna they've done it I saw you know on twelve minutes had a fantastic cast you know a number of their games it's one of the big pools yeah. that they have obviously straddling both films and games as an organisation um, let let our yeah. listeners in on some of that process and and how how it goes down the the way that it happened with us was um, we did a playthrough for Annapurna and there was a bug with the music that we didn't know about in the build. So I'm, there's like 15 people on the call. I'm playing through the whole game for Annapurna and most of the music's broken. And if you've played the game, it's mostly yeah, music. The game's not so about music. That's I'm, fine. Don't I'm, worry about that. <laughs> so well, I'm reading out all the lines exactly exactly so I'm reading out all the dialogue lines in character just like trying to cover the fact there's no music in the game yeah okay. and then at the end I'm just like oh are they gonna tear me to shreds here not that Annapen has ever torn Dude, me to yeah, shreds but, no, but you know you tear would be anyone's fear with anyone yeah yeah and at the, the end they're like I think the game needs to be voiced I'm like shit <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've made so, so much more work for myself. <laughs> I love your terrible voice acting actually just dif- distracted yeah. them from the bug and then ended up with this fantastic, wonderful cast of actors. Like, absolutely. Perfect, perfect um, so, you know, it's silver lining on a, uh, absolutely. Um, so then they start asking me about, you know, who do you want for Lightman? I'm like, well, you know, who am I allowed to have? You know, <laughs> what's the level? that we're talking about. And they're like, if you could have anyone, who would you get? And I'm like, I would get Carl Weathers. And then, you know, a couple of days later, Carl's in. And then <laughs> you're in the studio with him. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, so did, did so the, that's, um, how, that's how it went. Did, uh, <laughs> did the VO come through like pretty early? Like did you have tracks laid down early? Was it something that came through quite late in the process? 
really late. The game yeah. was was um, there for them to see, which was great actually because in the studio I could be like, usually I think people doing VO, it's very early in the piece um, and, mm. you know, there's no animation done or anything, but we don't lip sync. So the whole game was like yeah. I could show them the scenes and yeah, show yeah. them the music and show them what who, what the character looked like and stuff. And that seemed to help um, the actors out a lot. Um, and so my first ever acting voice direction was with Carl Weathers. So I was like absolutely <laughs> terrified. Um, and Annapurna had... Annapurna had um, put in a director with me called Ashley who was going to teach me the ropes of like how yeah. to direct. And she was fantastic mm. and kind of... Um, we, we had a meeting beforehand to tell me, you know, the do's and don'ts. But then I found it was very similar to um, directing singers when you're yeah. in a recording studio, which yeah. is because um, singers are these weird, fragile unicorns and you have to like, you have to like, and I've been there, I've been that singer, you know, and you have to like tell them, you know, really keep the vibe up and it's going great and be very careful with the kind of feedback you give them. Um, singers are definitely way way more emotional than actors though I, i've found in my <laughs> well, they're, they're singing right they're like they're, they're, they're talking but emotionally <laughs> <laughs> that's my new definition of singing yeah it's just emotional talking <laughs> i love it um so i was just like yeah got into the vibe pretty quick and i really enjoyed directing actors and every single actor i worked with with was so professional and lovely you know like Lena Headey coming in and she did like um, 10 different accents. She was like, yeah. which one of these do you want? And I was wow. like, Royal British, please. <laughs> um, and and they were just and like, and I, I say metal a lot. And so I was like, you know, working with Lena Headey, I'm like, metal, metal. And she's like, starts copying me. She's like, fucking metal, mate. It's metal. <laughs> and I was just like, this is such a cool place to be. Um, and so I enjoyed doing, um, even though it was very nerve wracking, I enjoyed, um, directing actors and, you know, I had, had read these lines for years, you know, in my head. So I felt like I knew what I wanted and, um, everyone was wonderful. And Lena Headey, that was, this was That's post to Game of Thrones, right? Like this is just wrapped up yeah. recently. So yes. Yeah, <laughs> everyone had that. just been disappointed by Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's um man it's and Ma mark strong as well who was amazing like yeah. he was like he was like do you want me to put this like um a shakespearean wobble in my voice i'm like fuck yeah fuck yeah, yeah mark strong yeah. that sounds amazing <laughs> say shakespearean wobble again whisper it into the mic <laughs> um, it was funny too because we were like we we're like I, I had the the line open to the studio when he got there and um the dude who was the engineer because one of the funny things with these things is all the names are fake and the names of the projects are faked on the yeah, call right, sheet. Yeah, so yeah. like, so to be, you know, no one, no, no, the paparazzi weren't running around to get up. <laughs> but I guess that's just like the process. Yeah. So he didn't know Mark Strong was coming in. I could hear him on the other side. go, Oh, fuck me. It's fucking Mark Strong. <laughs> <laughs> Having a moment. It's British. Yeah. So he was stoked. <laughs> All right, so now a bit of a pivot. Let's talk about just the game dip process in like from a meta view in regards to like big chunks and sort of how you went about it. Um, because, you know, these 2D games, some, they're, they're approaching so many different ways because um, these games are quite accessible to folks for their, for their first games or for folks from different particular in, 
um, industries, right? Like you said, you can, someone like yourself with an animation degree and a story can grab Unreal and start throwing this thing together. So how did you actually, did you block the entire thing out and you could play it from start to finish pretty early, but it was, you know, there was no art or because you came from an art background, was it like you went through a meticulously, you didn't have the game finished until like three months out and, but everything was arted from the start. What's talk me through the sort of the high level process, how you and your team worked and blocked this game out. Let me tell you how not to do it. <laughs> Which also happens to be the way that you did it. Is that what you <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So, yes, I was very art-based. And I, at, at the beginning, I was trying to, like, um, build all the art and the block out at the same time because I felt like this bit of art will influence the next bit of the section. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. That's a really <laughs> bad idea. Um <laughs> And so that was like one of the, the things that was tough was like just getting, you know, I'd built this, the thing was I built this demo and it had won like, um, like best at E3 and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I, I know what I'm doing. And I just kind of took that like three month um, uh, little apprenticeship and thought that I could put that out into a huge game. And that was a terrible idea. Um <laughs> Uh, I think, you know, we should have been we've done a lot more blocking. Uh, we should have done a lot more um, um, just prototyping with, with different um, uh, different mechanics and stuff like that. But mm. in the end, like, the Artful Escape is very pure. It's very, like, it's very minimal. It's exactly what it needs to be. It's And, and to – I mean, there's this thing that people say about cinema, which is that um, cinema is the only medium where – the creator wants you to feel a specific way at a specific time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that can be put across to narrative games as well. Um, and that that's what makes the Artful Escape great is just those moments of connecting character and music and gameplay and hitting those crescendos. So I think it got where it needed to be, but it was definitely like the long way around of like finding how, how to get those dynamics and finding how to create levels where those things could hit at the same time um i think artful escape in its um its pacing is very musical it's very like verse chorus um bring it back down Mm -hmm. you know have a drawn out verse go to the middle eight do a guitar solo chorus you know that's the way it kind of it's laid out so i think you know having people who are musicians work on pacing and people who are illustrators work on art people who are you know from film backgrounds work on framing and stuff like that if you bring in all these different creatives you can it, it, you know luckily for us it seemed to work out and and make something that was kind of unique was there anything that sort of came through later in the process that was kind of you know, intuitive once you were picking up and playing with it, you're like, oh, something's missing here. It needs this other element or something that just, you know, took a lot of time or came in at the end um, and sort of tied. I think that would be, that would be the, yeah, that would be the, the VO. Yeah. Um, The, the, the VO coming was what came in at the end and took up most of my time. Um, And just like the, the editing of, um, I can't believe like how long that took, like how much effort was to like edit and place dialogue in a game, especially <laughs> in one that's like pushed through button by button. Ep- yeah. Epic. But um, I think, you know, what was interesting was finding the right mix for the jam battles, the kind of Simon says um, yeah, okay. jam battles, because that can be really effective, but it, 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 
it, it kind of its welcome is worn out quite quickly. Like mm. you need to be uh, powerful and visceral with those kind of call and response jams and then get out and onto yeah. something else. So I think it was like, how many segments are these things going to be? We had them quite long. And yeah. and and I think in the end, just because we had played them 10,000 times, like we've got to make these <laughs> shorter. Um, <laughs> so I think um, yeah, it was like it, the things that came through kind of near the tail end were just about pacing and was bringing things out, you know. I guess yeah. uh, there's a lot of art, you know, literature and cinema and everything where when you get to the end you realise it's a little bit fat and you've got to trim it off. Yeah, um, cut it down a little bit. So that was the things that kind of changed in the in, in the, the tail of the game. Beautiful. So you've you've now made this game. Um, you're, you've, you've obviously had a bunch of acknowledgements and accolades. Um, it's been played by a bunch of folks. I mean, you're you're on you're on Game Pass and stuff as well, right? So it's like, yeah, um, it's just it's in the hands of a bunch of people. It's a, it's a astounding achievement for you know a, a, a team of misfits from, from Melbourne who never made a game before. <laughs> That's right? great. Like it's, it's it's fantastic, but now you've got the you got the sophomore problem, right? So what what are you, what's what's your thoughts for the sophomore album? Are you are you working? Obviously, you know it's, you're not going to tell us what it is today, but like what's what's next for Beethoven and Design? Yeah, uh, dinosaurs. I mean, I think I, I have the the same problems for the sophomore album that that any band does, which is you have yeah. your whole life to make that first album, and then everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, that's the next it, yeah. one. You know, and the thing the thing is. Um, too is like you have responsibility for all the people who work for you as well. So you have to get straight back into it. Yeah. Um, we used, I think, you know, the little uh, profit that we had just to give everyone three months off in between okay. games. Otherwise we were just going to smash into the next one. Um, <laughs> so that was nice. Um, but we're, we're actually handing in our demo for our new game to Annapurna today. Wow, so, that is um, very exciting. Yeah, so after this, I'm running back into the studio <laughs> to put on the final touches. Um, I think, uh, you know, I'll just say that it's, um, it's exciting. We're, we're, taking, we're taking what we learned from Artful Escape and what was great about it and making it bigger. That sounds like an absolutely phenomenal plan. I like it. Signed. You, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll now I'll, I'll, I'll give you I'll take you out to a dinner. I don't know if I can rival Nathan's, but done dinner. There you go, deal. <laughs> um, John, awesome. it's big Betty's Burgers. <laughs> Betty's, you know, I've never been to Betty's Burgers. I don't know, and I don't. Oh, it's know fine. It, it's okay. That's that was my thought. I thought, yeah, but is this thing a, you know an epiphany or is it just no? Okay, good. Well, no, yeah, that's fine. Um, so, hey, thanks, man. Thanks for hanging out. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Oh, it's super fun just to talk shop. I really enjoy it. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome, my dude. And uh, best of luck with your demo. Give my love to all the team and the crew at Annapurna. Stay metal as fuck, Trent. (laughs) Always. You know me. Thank you for joining us for the Game Maker's Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.